You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Hey, so last time we left Moses at the top of the mountain with God, and he's going to get the 10... The 10 tips. The 10, the ten suggestions. Oh, the 10 good ideas for living life. Nice pieces of advice. No, that's how a lot of people look at the Ten, <laughs> the Commandments, Ten Commandments, but they're much more than just Ten Tips for Life, and we're going to look at that today on More Than Ink. Well, good morning and welcome to our dining room table. I'm Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And this is More Than Ink, and we have arrived at Mount Sinai in the wow. book of Exodus. We are about to dive into that huge statement that we know as the Ten Commandments. It's yeah. literally the Ten Words the ten that words. God spoke. Yeah, we left Moses at the top of the mountain. Yeah, and, and, and we said last time, did. remember that we need to understand that Moses had gone up and come down several times over the course of, yep. of yep. the days that they were there at the beginning. Yep. Uh, and each time he goes up and God says something and he comes down and tells the people, the people respond, Moses takes the word back to God. So here today we get this big final statement, this very complete statement. statement. Right. Very famous. The 10 words. Yes. Well, let's just jump right in because okay. uh, this is going to take a while. Well, and you know, <laughs> it's very interesting to me that there's a lot of words around the first four or five commandments right until yeah. we get to the sabbath day and then they're very short and they're very after short. that yeah so yeah. <laughs> let's let's just start reading at the beginning of chapter 20 but we have lots of words oh, so well hmm. yeah well anyway maybe we shouldn't yeah. so you'll see in the 10 commandments i don't know how familiar you are with them but the first four uh focusing on our conduct with god and the and five through ten our conduct with man so it's interestingly split yeah, yeah. it's who he is yeah and then who we are. And who we are. As how a consequence we fit into that of plan. that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, let's start reading. So just keep watch. I'll, all right. I'll, I'll start reading. Chapter 20, verse 1. Moses is up there with God. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Hmm. Uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, stop. We got to stop. <laughs> I'm already, I got too many things to say. So we start off with, uh, you know, you know. it's interesting. Before he gets to the first commandment, he reminds them, I'm the guy that got you out of Egypt. I'm your God. Yeah. Right. So here's, here's, the, uh, here's the authority statement right here. I got you out of Egypt. So, so number, the first one, number th on verse three, you should have no other gods before me. That sounds 
pretty straightforward? It's pretty straightforward, but now he's going to elaborate a little bit. Right, right. So don't make a carved image. Nothing in heaven above, nothing on earth beneath, nothing in the water, right? Anything that the Egyptians had a, mm-hmm, an image mm-hmm. of or any of the other pagan nations had, you know, carved symbols of nature. Yeah, yeah. Says, don't, you don't, so don't do that because I am the unseen God, yeah, the that invisible is, God. That is so common in false religion is, is you, you know, mankind has a sense that God exists. And so to give him kind of a tangible touch, he makes right. a, he carves something. Right. We know. want a God we can see, which yeah. we know is going to happen. Yep. to the yep. Israelites, not very far totally. in the future. Totally. But what do you make of this statement? He says, you shall not bow down to them in verse five or serve them for I, the Lord, your God. So he's saying, I am that I am. I'm mm-hmm. your God. Mm-hmm. I'm a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's uh, a lot of people who are critical of the Bible say, well, this right. proves that there's other gods because God's jealous because there's other gods he's jealous of. Yeah, well. No, 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 no. That's a really bad way to look at it. That's just, that's not true at all. But the jealousy is is an issue of uh, of a mutually exclusive relationship. Right. That's what we're really talking about here. Yeah. It's exclusivity. And, uh, and despite the fact that there really are no other gods in the universe, read Isaiah right. 40, 41, 42, 43, 44. How I many is very clear about that? We can, we're like little idol factories. We make <laughs> we make our own gods and then we carve our own images and God's saying, yeah. I'm not going to have any of that. I, I don't want you to have your man-made idols between you and me. Just just drop all that stuff. I'm jealous. Well, and we think of jealousy as a negative thing. Right. But, but in this case, when God applies it to himself, he, it means he is rightly zealous for what is exclusively his. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He has a, an exclusive claim on the hearts of mankind and anything else that would intrude on that god is jealous against well after all he brought them out of egypt right so i mean they they used to belong to pharaoh in that sense well they never belonged to pharaoh it looked like they look like they were (laughs) right because god says they're not yours they're mine they always have been but i mean that's the issue is they've always belonged to god they always were gods and so so here he's basically saying since you know we have this mutually exclusive relationship right don't make idols in between us that's just nuts so then why does he attach to it i'm a jealous god visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me it's important that we understand that correctly yeah because what god is saying to them is your idolatry Mm-hmm. will impact mm-hmm. the future generations. It flows downhill. It's gonna it's yep. going to impact your children. Yep. It's a yep. serious warning. Yeah. He doesn't mean that if I sin, then my kids are gonna pay for right. it. Right. However, in a sense they sorta of do because there is there is all the junk that comes with sin and it will affect them. There is my no sin. My sin will impact my children. Exactly. And yes. so that's what he's saying here. Right? So this statement is not intended as a punishment. It's intended no, as no, a no. deterrent Right. It's a way of saying, if you love your kids and your kids' right. kids and your kids' kids' kids, stay faithful to stay me. Stay faithful because what you do is going to flow right. down to them. Yeah. Because I show my steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. There's that pair again. Love right. me and keep my love commandments. Love me and treasure what I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, there, there is a threat here. And I, I said it when I said we're, we're idol factories. There is a threat here that even in this modern era, 
when we think we're so you know spiritually and religiously free enlightened enlightened yeah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff you say well there's really no threat to being an idol person well actually you are you make idols all the time you and make... when you say you're not then you are just demonstrating how blind exactly. we are and it's easy to spot your idols there are the things that you look <laughs> to to find life they're the things you invest in hoping they'll give back to you life you know it's like sacrificial worship the things that you rely upon to find life that are outside of you that's an yeah. idol that's an idol and money can operate as an idol uh, uh, popularity power can operate as an idol. many things can operate as an idol because you look to them to bring you life he says no don't look to those things to bring you life that's just not going to work out well <laughs> yeah he he demands a hundred percent um uh, un- devotion un- yeah undivided devotion yeah and that's that's what we're about here and, and because god is who he is he has a right to expect and demand yeah. exclusive worship yeah yeah that's exactly so that's true. why this is right at the front right at the get-go yeah no other gods before me don't make an image because i am rightly righteously zealous for yes. you you are exclusively mine so that actually echoes the marriage relationship it does it's exactly that it's so, exclusive uh, yes and yeah. you know human beings will twist jealousy because of our sin mm-hmm. but it is right it can be righteous for a spouse to be rightly zealous for the exclusive devotion of their spouse yeah and a lot of people look at this and say wow your god is very narrow-minded i mean <laughs> why doesn't he allow you to kind of dabble in other gods well he alone like is god exactly but you would never make that claim about a marriage relationship you know your spouse is very narrow-minded why won't they let you kind of sleep with other people yeah you know well, because in the marriage in the marriage relationship, God through that is telling us this exclusive relationship mirrors my relationship with you. It has to be exclusive. And that's why God allows in Deuteronomy a, a, a divorce clause for yeah. the purpose or for the sake of unfaithfulness. Yep. That marriage covenant of exclusivity has already been broken. Yeah, yeah. And I, I might point out as we're going on here, this whole thing about the images and stuff like that, that's poorly interpreted by people lots of times saying, well, I, you can't paint a picture of Jesus. Right. Well, you know, only if you're tempted to worship it. If you paint a picture of Jesus and you put it in your living room and you put candles around it and you sacrifice to it, you do some kind of little idol worship of this picture. And when the picture's gone, you don't have God there. It's like, see, it kind of gets in the way. It ends up being a middleman. But we are in this relationship with God, and it's it's a tricky business for this for us as created beings. We are physical, and now God's saying, I intend for you to have a relationship with me. But Jesus told the woman at the well, you have to worship God in spirit and in right. truth. In spirit. Right. So that's that's what I'm saying is tricky. It's not impossible, but the burden of making this relationship work actually rests on God. He's the one that reaches to us and bridges. Well, and if you remember, Jesus said to Philip, when Philip said, if you just show us the Father, show it'll the be Father, enough. Yeah. Jesus said, you know, don't you get it yet? Yeah. If you've seen Hello. me, you've seen, you've seen the, the Father. Father. Yeah. But having pictures of Jesus kind of poses us a problem. Yep. Because then we superimpose on that picture yeah. uh, all the qualities that we think we see. Yeah. And so that, you know, it's troubling. Yeah. We need to press on. Well, and I, I'll just make the point, too, is that I said this last time, is that God had his relationship established with Israel at the beginning through his word. That's a word-based relationship. And that's how it has to stay. Instead of being a physical, visual relationship, it has to be based on the word, on his word. And that's central. That's central to the relationship. And so for a spirit being like God, that it sort of makes sense. Our relationship is based on these concepts of his word and who he is. So uh, that's just extra. Uh, okay, yeah, boy, there's a lot I want there's to a, say about that, that, but we need to press on. Okay, let's get to 
Let's get to the third. Okay, verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in Ah, vain, ah. for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Pause. Boy, is this badly interpreted. We don't understand that. I heard someone once say, this means, and and I so value this, this means if we accept the you know the name of God on us and claim to be named by him mm-hmm. right we belong to God and then we live slanderously in a way that subjects God's holy name to slander that's what this means right, right or if right. we live fraudulently right we yep. say well i belong to God and God belongs to me and then we live in a way that is directly opposed to the character of God mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so we're not talking about necessarily swearing and including you know the name of god or the name of jesus yeah that can be included but that's not the biggest picture no like if you if you haven't sworn using his name in the last week you still might be guilty of this (laughs) oh i think we haven't a clue how guilty we are and you know it helps me to go back to how i how i define terms when you talk about the name of god because it says, you know, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The right. name in an ancient sense always means is the encapsulation of the reputation right. of a person or something. You name you name them based on their reputation. So when we talk about the name of God, we're talking about his reputation, who he is. I mean, the nature of who he is. So if somehow you identify yourself with the nature of who God is, and then you do it for a wrong purpose, then you're actually dragging his reputation into the mud. That's why the hypocrisy part of it, you know, you're taking on what you act differently. You know, in a second here, the nation of Israel is going to be known around the world as people who have God at the center. Right. What happens if they start living like idiots? Right. Which, well, actually they will. (laughs) Worse than idiots. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to, it's going to do something to the perceived name of God in the rest of the world. And, and the problem is, is these things you do are vacuous. They're empty. They have absolutely no benefit at all. And right. yet you're dragging God's name. In fact, the word vain means empty. So if you go toward empty things and identify God's name to it, look what you're doing to the name of okay. God. And in the same way, when, when a wife and a husband marry and the wife takes her husband's name, yeah. her identity is now tied up with his. But right. if she then right. goes out and lives in a in a sexually uh, provocative manner or sexually uh, unfaithful manner. She is making the marriage empty. Empty. Yeah. Which is this same idea of, of it being taking his name in vain yeah, and then see, living slanderously. You did exactly what I do all the time, too. If it's, if it's cloudy to me what this means, I go back to the marriage relationship. Because right. that's meant to be a very deliberate picture. It's a working picture for us to kind of figure out what does God exactly mean. And that makes it really clear. That makes it very clear what this is all about. There's a whole bunch of being identified with, with frivolous things and with hypocritical things and... Uh, even with profane things. But yeah. it, we're talking about all of that. If you're going to take the name of God and say, I, I live in the nation where right. God is at its center, man, you better watch your P's and Q's. You do not want to drag know God's who reputation. God is. Right, and yeah. know who God is. Yeah, that's that's take the name of the Lord of God in vain. Oh my gosh. Number four. Keep moving. Okay, I'll read okay. this. So remember the <laughs> Sabbath day. This is a big one. This is the fourth covenant, uh, fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, uh, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We better stop there. He set it apart. 
So yeah, remember, holy just means set apart. Like it's not, it's different from everything else. Now that's he had already given them the idea of the Sabbath yeah, that's with, right. the manna. with the manna. He said, six days gather it, the seventh day, it's a rest day. You're going to get twice as much the day before. And God has given you the Sabbath, yeah, the day right. of rest, on the basis of the fact that God has set this model himself. Yeah. Yeah, because God's doing this, and so you should do this. And if you're my people, then you'll do this with me. That's so much more than God does this, so you should do this. No, but I, I mean, just hate even presenting it that well, way. Well, I was going to connect it. <laughs> okay. the, the deal is, and I've always made this. I've, I've made this picture with farmers and stuff like that. If you're if you're a farmer, you realize if you take a day off. If I take a day off, then my crops are going to fail. I mean, the the bugs are going to come in, the weeds are going to come in. I mean, it's like a it's a it's perpetual diligence is what it is. And God says to this agrarian people as well as us you can take a day off and i'll cover all that stuff it's really an issue of trust and for what purpose of just sitting around twiddling your thumbs no this is a sabbath to the lord the issue is relationship with god you can actually have a day in the week where you can meet with god and not be encumbered by all that other stuff what a great luxury and so that's why he says so often it's a sabbath to the lord right not that you're serving him but you're actually saying hey i get to take some time off kick back you know get a nice tea read his word and, and have a relationship with the lord well in a day of recognizing leaning our entire weight yeah on the on the rock the bedrock of what god has done yes and god has invited us into his rest and into his presence and that's actually the core of why we have this society is to be in his presence and that's what setting aside all this work allows us to do with a great luxury i mean it's just it's incredible and not be distracted by all that kind of stuff I, I was thinking as well about the fact that, um, you know, in the New Testament, many of the writers will say that the Sabbath uh, is is kind of a picture. The Sabbath is is a shadow, and the fulfillment is in Christ. So um, we don't really have time to go into this deeply. But what we find is because of what Christ has done for us, it allows us to live a Sabbath life, not just one day out of the week, but every day in the week. Okay, in the same. So in the same way that God rested from his works, we rested from our works in terms of impressing God, and that's due to Christ. So so the Sabbath idea from the New Testament is a perpetual state of being. It's not a one day a week. Right, kind of it is a condition we don't have time of to, mind and heart. Yeah, that we don't have time to talk about that enough. Deeply settled yeah. in what God has accomplished, and yeah. he invites us in. Where we, where we rest in what he has done and not worry about what we haven't done. Yeah. yeah, and rest in who he is. And rest in, his in who presence. he is. Yeah, it's a, it's a big, big deal. It's central to so much, so much. So, well, there's a there's a reason why this, this Sabbath command is central in the Ten Commandments, right? It's right in the middle, and it has the most text devoted to it. It does, yeah. Right, the most yeah. explanatory text. Because this is a turning point yes. in the Ten Commandments, right? Yes. Everything that came before is about who is God, and and who are you in relation to him yeah right yeah. but here we turn a corner that kind of becomes uh, more about and so what is the evidence and the fruit of yeah. a people who rest yeah. in god the outgrowth of this nation right whose behavior is going to testify to who god is so the first part is who is god and the second part is right. so who are so, you right <laughs> who shall you how shall you live so for instance the fifth one verse 12 honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the lord your god is giving to you wow Honor Why? your father and mother well, because God has set up human life that we pass life from generation to generation to generation. None of us got here without a father and a mother. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So even if your father and mother were 
godless, we're wicked, we're abusive. God says, now recognize that I have put in place the, the fact that life comes to you, spiritual life comes to you mm-hmm. from, from God, but mm-hmm. physical human life comes to you through the means of a father and a mother. Yeah. And yeah. recognize that. Yeah. That, that's why in our current culture, we grieve so much when we uh, see the nuclear family kind of disintegrating and yeah. going away. I mean, everyone still has a mother and father, but do you actually have a mother and father that you live right. with when you're young and who train you up? Right. I mean, no, we don't. So it, it actually violates, and it's an assault against the Ten Commandments. It's right. against the fundamental backbone of how God has designed the society, is, uh, is fathers and mothers. I, I remember someone saying one time, they said, uh, just to cast a little bit of silliness in here, it's like, if I don't honor my mother, she's going to shorten my life. Well, here it says, if you honor my mother, <laughs> you'll, live, you'll live long in the land. But there's more to it than just to shorten your life. It's the fact that, hey, if you want a good life, you need to honor your father and mother. It's by design from God right. to bless you. So just do it. Just do it. And the most fundamental blessing being you received human life. Yeah, you received Through life. the union yeah. of a father and a mother. Yep. So honor that. Yep, honor that. Okay, let's push on. Okay. You shall not murder. Why? Because God is a life giver. And God's all life, life belongs to him. And if yep. you are his people living in relationship with him, you will not take life. Because exactly. it doesn't belong to you. Yeah, belongs to God. Now there's there's warranted circumstances that you can take life, but well, there's a difference between purposes. murder and killing. Exactly, and that's why that's why I like the fact that ESV here says murder because yes. that's, that's what we're talking about here. And Jesus equates that to hate. So if you take a right. life based on hate, that's what we're talking about. Here. Well, he even says actually, if you think it, you're already a murderer. Well, you just haven't had the opportunity to do it. Yet. Exactly, <laughs> but it's in us. Oh, is it in us? It's in us. Yeah. Number seven, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. <laughs> yeah, this is, this again, back to that mutually exclusive relationship right. that's built into husbands and wives. Yeah. And this, you know, I was thinking this, this predates this. I mean, they knew this. If you get to Joseph at the end of Genesis, right. Joseph and Potiphar's wife, you know, right. he's denying her and saying, no, I'm not going to do this. this I'm not going to offend God. Yeah, right. this is wrong. So this is, this is not a new idea. This is a very old Well, idea. and it all goes back to when God created man and woman, he created man and woman for each other right and the two shall become one flesh they are exclusively connected to one another yeah yeah number nine you shall not bear a false witness against your neighbor wait you jumped one that idea you shall not steal verse 15 why because everything belongs to god exactly don't be taken what's not yours and like i've always said this is just really good because i'd rather live in a society that doesn't (laughs) steal than one that does this is this is good for us not to steal yeah, so, so yeah, number nine, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor, saying bad things about your neighbor. Why? Demeaning who they are. God is truth. Yep, yep. God speaks truth, so you need to be people who speak truth. Yep, yep. And yep. don't be robbing your neighbor of their good character or their good reputation. Yeah, character assassination. And then number 10 in verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you mm. shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey, or his motorcycle, or anything, wait, that's not there, or anything that's your neighbor's. So anything that your, that your neighbor has, you shouldn't be looking at that saying, I wish I had that. And instead, you know, you need to you, you need to conduct yourselves in a way that you are, how do you want to be, well, con- why? content with what you have. But yes, because God gives to each one he loves his daily bread. Exactly. Right? And he, they've already he ha- got enough. the manna. God has yeah. given each one exactly what he needs for the day. And Jesus taught us to pray that. God, give us today my needful bread. Yeah. So and if I'm resting in God's provision for me, 
then I don't need to be envying what somebody else has. Yeah, and the, the degree to which you pant over, which is what yeah. that word cover means, yeah. other people stop. You're saying that God has not given me enough. Yes, you it's know. blaming God. Yeah, and the writer in Hebrews 13 says basically you need to conduct your you need to conduct yourself in such a way that that you know what you have is all you need, and God has given that to you. Okay, let's finish this out. We just got a few minutes left here. So where are we? Verse 18. Verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. <laughs> now, I find that fascinating. I do too. Because they had already said on a previous visit up and down the mountain with Moses, yeah. everything the Lord says we'll do. Yeah, right? we'll do it. But here they hear and they see the trembling and the mountain and the smoke and the fire. And they're like, oh, we don't want to hear from this God anymore. This is a big deal. We want a human mediator. Yep. Yep. It's a big deal. Verse 20. So Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Yep. The people yep. stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Yep. It's interesting. Don't do not fear, but you need to fear him. Well, yeah, you don't need to. That needs some teasing apart. Yeah, we're not talking about fear in terms of being afraid of God, but right. fear in terms of being properly reverent yeah. for God. And I, and I want you to take seriously the nature of sin is what he's saying, right. so that you may not sin, because sin. I always say this all the time: is self destructive in some fashion. It's self destructive. It usually manipulates other people. I mean, it's just bad. It's toxic. Oh, but it's separates you from a holy God and that's the who thing. has already said, I love you and I want you to if, be mine. If the only thing that's good, the only one who's good is God himself, why would you separate yourself from him? And that's what sin does. It separates you from the goodness of God. Mm -hmm. That's a bad, that's a bad trait. It's a really bad trait. So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all this so that you'll fear in a sense you'll highly right. respect you'll deeply take this seriously properly this is understand a, this is a big 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 deal <laughs> yeah. and uh, because i don't want you to sin it's it's a lesser life in so many ways if you sin so we're going to come back to this a lot yes. in the next few weeks yeah yeah oh my goodness one can't just skip merrily into the presence of god he is holy and we can only approach him through the one way that he has put in place for us and that's through our lord jesus yeah so here's a God who loves us, who treasures us, and yet we have these self-inflicted wounds of sin, mm. which we cannot earn our way out of. We cannot do enough in order to in order to somehow impress Him. But Christ has done that for us, and He brings us into this relationship with Him, and He brings us near. That's that's not a New Testament message. That's an all Bible message, and you see it first time right here. Well, not first well, time. Well, no, it's not the first time. It's reinforces a nation right here. We will come back to the fear of the Lord yeah. in the coming weeks. Yeah, many times, many times, and how the law itself. This is the beginning of it is like a tutor that brings us to Christ, to Christ. himself. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll eventually get there. So join us next time we talk about these things and we'll come back to the Ten Commandments over and over right here on More Than Ink. More Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. I want to see that blank look again <laughs> on your face. Like, what? What? What am I supposed to say after that? Thanks a lot.